What's up, everybody? This is Eric Wright, the host of your Disco Posse podcast. Thank you for joining and welcome to the show. I've got to give a big shout out to our good friends here who are making this show possible through sponsorship, friendship, and also just super good community support. Uh, so before we get jumped right into the fun stuff where we talk about AWS serverless, you wanted to go and check out everything you need for your data protection needs. And in fact, you can do that using my friends over at Veeam Software. That's right, Veeam Software. It's V-E-E.am forward slash Disco Posse. I know Veeam seems hard to spell sometimes, but it's actually not that hard. So go to V-E-E.am forward slash Disco Posse. You can find out everything you need. In fact, I'm using them for cloud backup. I'm using them for container backup with their new your Kasten product and also much, much more. Literally down to the metal, physical servers, virtualization, and SaaS. Got to back that SaaS up. That includes things like Teams, Office 365. You thought it was in the cloud, so it was protected. In fact, it's really not. So please do go check it out. Head over to Veeam Software, longtime fan, uh, and I love what they do. Fat check out uh, Danny Allen, their CTO, was on the podcast recently, and, and Danny's just such a fantastic human, not just because he's a Canadian and a cyclist. All right. And also, I want to give a shout out to the book that's been really, really getting a lot of good reception. If you want to check out, go to velocityclosing.com and I host there the four-step guide to delivering extraordinary software demos that win deals. It's a really good book that's aimed at sort of product marketers, technical sales folks, uh, how to better engage with customers, how to give demos that actually matter to people. Make people give a crap about your product. So go check it out. Go to velocityclosing.com. I got a really cool bundle. And in fact, you get access to what used to be a quarterly AMA is going to be monthly. So check it out. 27 bucks for the whole kit. Sign up now. All right, let's get to the fun stuff. Today's episode features Julian Wood. Julian is a serverless hero. He's a serverless gentleman, and he's a fantastic human. I'm a very big fan of Julian. Uh, he's been a blogger and somebody I've been lucky enough to work with in that side of the industry, and he now works at AWS, and he joined for the show. So with that, let's check out Julian Wood. Hi, I'm Julian Wood. I'm a senior developer advocate from AWS Serverless, and you're listening to the Disco Posse podcast. Cool. Well, let's uh, now that we're uh, we're here for the first time in again, what feels like forever ago. Uh, like I said, Julian, you and I were the last time we got a chance to actually catch up in person. We were uh, running about the Las Vegas Strip uh, on the mornings uh, for our our sort of VFit run group at I believe AWS Reinvent 2019. Uh, so lots happened. Since then, because uh, I, I I think you'd been with AWS at that time, or uh, but yeah, yeah, we go way back. But for folks that aren't lucky enough to know you, uh, let's have you introduce yourself and and where we can find you online. Then we're going to jump in and talk about all sorts of serverless goodness. Certainly. Well, Eric, first of all, thanks for inviting me. Disco Posse podcast. How awesome is that? How lucky I am. I've been listening to many years for all your great interviews and to think I, I get to be on the Disco Posse po podcast. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, Julian Wood. I'm a senior developer advocate 
um, for AWS Serverless. So I work literally within the AWS Serverless product team within AWS. So we develop uh, products like uh, Lambda and API Gateway and link up with uh, lots of all the other serverless products. I mean, there are things from EventBridge and their queues and things. I'm sure we'll go into all, all, all the kind of tech later. Um, but yeah, I've been at AWS, I think just over a year or yes, year, years and probably four months and so yeah at reinvent last year uh two years ago yeah 2019 in 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 the normal times um yeah that's the last time we, we caught up and yeah the that vfit runs are the cool things that actually you started i don't know many many years ago at, at vm worlds in uh in san francisco in san francisco yeah, yeah i mean and i remember uh, yourself myself and alaric davies i think yes. the very very first run and i didn't <laughs> plan on doing this and standing in some pub one evening and someone goes do you fancy doing a run tomorrow morning what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> and off we did yeah yeah we did a lot of miles together uh over the course of years or kilometers for those folks that are like you and i that still uh, observe the metric system like 98 of the world <laughs> uh yeah it's that was wild yeah it's san francisco uh yeah we and it was funny not only did we go for a run which probably seemed like a rather un, un good idea at the time, especially because we were at the pub discussing it. And then, exactly. the and then at the end of the run, we actually felt so good. So, hey, do you want to just have a go at it tomorrow? And, and we actually made it a daily event for the whole stretch. And it's been so at every event that I've been to ever since, which is kind of cool. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And you've yeah, continued it with so many different events that you've attended. And yeah, it's just so cool to chat to people all from i mean you have no idea who's going to pitch up in the morning and just to chat about a conference you at and get different people's opinions and what they're liking not liking and yeah it's an, and a breath of fresh air and you know gets the cobwebs out from the night before and that's right starts the day yeah it's crazy but good fun so imagine the the changes that have been around in obviously the world has been has been very different in that we couldn't get a chance to get together at reinvent 2020 but there was an in inordinate amount of really amazing announcements uh, in serverless across the entire set of platforms. It was just uh, a fire hose of, of great stuff that was coming. Uh, I loved Andy's keynote. I actually loved the style. So the AWS reinvents just the whole delivery of it was really, really well done because it felt truly like the reinvents keynotes that you know, they're obviously they're beautifully styled. The, the delivery is genuine and I've always fancied the way that they they do it because there's such a powerful set of human stories, very customer centric and customer driven. And so the way that it's done and I'm assuming that there was like a small studio audience that was there. And it was funny, a lot of people online were like, oh, I really don't like the, the canned applause. I'm like, well, I just I don't believe it's canned applause. I think it's real applause. And if you didn't have it, You'd be horrified at what it's like listening to a three-hour keynote with no interruptions other than that person's voice. So it was yeah, actually, exactly. it was a really, really well done. It was very dynamic. And you can, what I love is that it was natural. Like you could hear tripping up. It wasn't overly produced, uh, but uh, you know, no matter how you slice it, good on Andy and, and yeah. Werner and, and all the folks to be able to stand up there and, and, and do that stuff so beautifully and naturally for so long. Uh, and that's just that's one day a year. I can only imagine the preparation and and yeah, just exactly. all the teams behind it. So I know that must amazing. I mean, Andy Jassy is incredible. I think just from that, I mean, let's call it a performance that he literally speaks for three hours, 
it's live. He's obviously got notes and things, uh, things of that. But the thing that amazes me is I, I work just within the serverless pr product space. And so, okay, I'm, I would say I'm moderately a fay with everything that's going on in serverless because it's so broad. Andy delivers a three hour keynote. He covers all of the servers, all of the, you know, big, huge announcements across all of these services and delivers it with, with conviction and knowledge and understanding and just, I mean, it, it is incredible. And I know, I'm sure a lot of it's, you know, uh, pre-written and, you know, notes. He, I mean, he must, he must prepare for this for days and days and days. But, you know, he's a, he's a technical guy. He knows the stuff. He understands the stuff. I mean, even I know internally all the stuff that bubbles up to Andy. And I know there many times he's saying, oh, that division over there, you need to talk to this division over there. Or have you thought about this? Or have you thought about it? that? So, yeah, he's amazing. So, I mean, for how many years he's been at Amazon and, yeah, he's still cracks out a three-hour keynote with yeah customer stories the whole kind of thing yeah amazing and i mean really this keynote as well was you know um serverless was very much front and front and center where actually in reinvent 2019 which was my first reinvent as a an employee you know within andy's keynote uh, there weren't as many serverless announcements and people were like oh you know is this the sort of the, the peak of serverless that that's kind of happened and i mean just yeah, no we've already gone beyond the hype cycle, right? Oh, no. <laughs> Possibly, but I, you know, there's just so much going on at AWS. And you know, Andy, Andy and his team obviously have to pick and choose what goes into the keynotes. But, you know, they're, they're always announcements. And um, yeah, this year, just a serverless, uh, you know, sort of rediscovered the keynote again. And yeah, for no other reason than, uh, yeah, there's just cool stuff to talk about. And um, yeah, I mean, even though there's so much announced in the, in the keynote, it's just, it was cool to see that Andy, you know, really highlighting the value of serverless and then, uh, you know, some weird cool kind of things like 50% of all new services built on AWS use Lambda. And, you know, that, right. that's a kind of thing. So, you know, forget even the announcements that they were, uh, that they were doing, but just, yeah, you know, AWS builds services and, you know, we building stuff on Lambda, you know, that's, we'll go into uh, Lambda as our uh, compute offering, but yeah, it's just shows you the massive scale of, of uh, this massive scale and the opportunity um yeah of this funny thing called serverless and the interesting thing of serverless from its inception of course when we say serverless it it is literally like it, the first thing that jumps into everybody's mind is lambda like they you define the what the serverless would become as a a nomenclature like we introduce it to the world and lambda was this first place and it's funny and how the over time, we've seen Lambda itself evolve so much to what it extends into the power of the platform itself. I mean, we, I still get people will say like, oh, they're worried about the you know amount of runtime and cold starts and all of this stuff that we've hung on to it in a way. You almost need like a Snopes for for serverless to like catch up what is actually not real. It's pure mythology at this point. Yeah. They're sort of urban legends that have survived far beyond the where they've been surpassed technically it's yeah uh, absolutely and it's one of our challenges i mean even particularly in my role i mean my role's a you know a, a technical role to help people understand serverless and yeah a lot of that is the sort of just old time old time thinking and i mean we can't you know we can't complain that customers have that at times because yeah it is just evolving and changing um uh, all the time and uh, it is it is also tough for customers to be able to change their thinking and update their best practices and do all this kind of thing. But the opportunity there at the same time is just, uh, yeah, it's just incredible. I mean, our sort of philosophy on the serverless thing is, you know, it's the fastest way to build uh, a, a modern application. And 
interesting, you know, serverless is a term. It's obviously as silly as cloud is a term. Uh, you know, <laughs> when Lambda was announced, serverless was not mentioned at all. It was never thought of as a serverless thing. Um, when it was announced, it was actually all about event-driven computing, which it very clearly still is all about. And actually, I mean, um, just for a history lesson, Lambda was born out of the, out of the S3 team. And customers were thinking, you know, we were running all these little batch jobs when, you know, when somebody was uploading a file to S3, we wanted to do something with it. Oh, and right, so, yeah. uh, you know, the S3 team were like, well, yeah, we want to sort of fix that kind of thing. So how are they going to hook it up? How are they going to hook it up? And then the whole idea was like, hang on, you know, let's start thinking about events. Yes, people are uploading uh, a file to S3, but it could, you know, then so many other things that can generate events. What, have, what if we could just have a little piece of compute that could run based on that event? And yeah, so Lambda was born. And, you know, the, the, just the, the years now that Lambda has been running, the, the huge amount of use cases that it's um, gone from is literally been mind blowing. And I mean, the goal is not just to make uh, you know, infrastructure cheaper, uh, that's the kind of thing is no, it's not just our sort of internal trick to drive utilization to Amazon servers. You know, it's not to just overload or offload workloads from data centers. The whole thing is about serverless is really just helping builders go faster. And that's the whole idea of it. And yes, the infrastructure, you know, melting away and all that kind of thing. But the idea of serverless from two different components, one being the compute with Lambda and one just connecting with this myriad of all other services. But what's the idea? Developers want to build code. They want to ship it quickly. They want to go prototype to production as quick as they can. And that's the ethos of serverless is to just make life simple for developers to build their stuff and be successful. But, and as somebody who's been in the data center and cloud space for I've, I've done a few as you can tell by the lines under my eyes a few hard decades uh, in running production environments and what was interesting to see was the the way that developers really did do a lot of sort of leading how the infrastructure teams would react and, and operate and it was always that way right developers were looking for the way to do something better, uh, more effectively, more efficiently. Uh, and when you've got great development teams, you really want to empower them and you want them to do that stuff. But now what ended up happening at that time was sort of virtualization upended the, the mid-frame and the mainframe folks. They're like, oh, you know, this distributed computing thing is crazy. And then it became virtualization and then it became containerization. And then it became now this idea of serverless. But event-driven infrastructure is such a fantastic thing because we had all of these tools and shims and VMs living all over the place, just sitting there watching, watching, you know, like, and for those that weren't already doing stuff around message queuing and, and at that layer, this was a great way to like, hey, you know, it was like, if this, then that for everything else. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I love that when we've done now for operations teams, you know, and I see that as kind of one of the primary audience that is the slowest to adapt and adopt is that we've really taught them that this is one less thing to manage. It allows you to integrate much easier to other adjacent services. And also 
it excited them again about getting into code because it was effectively sort of micro coding that you could do. You could just create this simple function and like, oh, wow, it works. And I remember I got my first IOT button and you like click the little button and it would do a thing somewhere. And I was like, this is amazing. This is a lot of fun. And it was this neat little project. And it reminded me again that little scripts, little batches, little processes in this format was all of a sudden this fantastic form factor and way to deliver it. And Again, what was the real problem we were solving? I didn't want to have a virtual machine sitting there for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, so that every three days somebody drops a file somewhere and I've got to do three things to it. It just didn't make sense. So serverless just introduced such a, a really new methodology for folks and, and I love. So let's talk about you. I'm curious on your side because you came, you also are from an ops background, architecture, you've done an incredible amount of stuff. You've been very deep into the virtualization ecosystem and the application ecosystem. So what's the the advocacy, you know, sort of success rate as you bring people forward? Because I'm curious on what the, how the audience is going, because uh, I think it's growing, uh, but yeah. I know it's been a, it has been a bit of a slog. Yeah. Um... Interestingly, as you say, I come from an infrastructure background. Uh, before joining AWS, I was on the customer side, so you know I haven't been haven't worked for a, a so-called vendor before. And uh, yeah, my infrastructure roots are literally you know well, if we're going really back <laughs> way back when, it's Novell and into Windows, and I've done a lot of Microsoft kind of stuff. And yeah, racking servers and you know switches and and firewalls and uh, you know architecture stuff where. You know, literally 75% of the product is not even building the VMs, but it's, you know, deciding on the firewall rules and, you know, trying to uh, predict a year or two or three in advance how big a database needs to be or how many app servers you're going to need or, you know, how big your HCI cluster needs to be or, yeah, do we need a new switch? You know, do, do the switch ports have enough throughput on the SAN or the NAS? I mean, all this kind of stuff. And... When Lambda came out and AWS with serverless, um, you know, I didn't do much initially with it, but there was this nagging thing in the back of my head, which was just the sort of sense of re actually relief that even myself as an infrastructure person, I always felt as though um, we were always just slightly doing a disservice to people who were building stuff because we were often uh, either a blocker or apps people didn't understand infrastructure. And that was frustrating for me because I wanted them to understand infrastructure because infrastructure can do great, amazing things and it's scalable and it's performance and it's secure and all these kind of things. But there's a lot of work that application people need to do to, to achieve that. And normally it's throw a ticket over the wall and I need X number of VMs. And if you're lucky, you've got some cool developers who understand that infrastructure and they know our stuff connects together and they can do some planning and all this kind of thing. All the time I spent was literally handholding developers and project managers and other architects to design all this infrastructure for scale and disaster recovery and for all this kind of thing. And so when serverless and uh, Lambda kicked off and the ability for Lambda to then be the glue to connect a whole bunch of different services together and even better forget, you know, let's, let's rather not have Lambda functions at all and rather have these services talk to each other. And I don't have to provision a certificate. Um, I don't have to manage that certificate. I don't need to patch anything. Uh, if it doesn't run, I don't pay for anything. And it's just, you've literally got this 
uh, compute for all. I mean, it sounds like a horrible buzzword, but uh, it is sort of <laughs> a, you know, g giving the whole world, a, you know, a big distributed computer, which they can do anything with, um, but they don't have to understand distributed computing. And so back to the infrastructure thing, that's my life. But the light bulb went off and it was just all my years as an infrastructure person, I loved, I loved getting involved in the virtualization and the VMware community and, you know, learning from people and trying to help people out. Uh, <clears throat> but ultimately looking after that infrastructure, you know, there are better, the cloud scale, better ways of doing it. And I just, when this opportunity with AWS came up, it was just like, oh, wow, I, you know, jump for that. I love the technical stuff. Um, you know, I love talking, love presenting. And so, yeah, this job came up is to literally advance and help people um, understand and love serverless as much as I do. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's honestly going like gangbusters. And um, yeah, just every single year, you know, we get more use cases, the little tweaks, some of the small little tweaks just open up more workloads. Um, as you were saying earlier on, the, on in the beginning where, you know, there's these sort of myths that have happened and oh, we definitely can't use serverless or we definitely can't use Lambda for this or, uh, you know, it's insecure or it doesn't perform or this kind of thing, you know. AWS and the whole ecosystem and partners as well are just, you know, chipping away at those little use cases to just continually make it better, make it, you know, bigger, better, faster, more and cheaper. And yeah, it's just, just this continual involvement that allows literally developers to ship code quicker and um, to give business this amazing agility to do a number of things. One, as I said before, this uh, prototype to production that, you know, in many, in many cases, if you create something in a prototype and you want to push it into production, it's not like a okay, hell, now how are we going to actually uh, really architect this thing to be in production and have disaster recovery and have backups and all this kind of thing? You know, often with a lot of uh, serverless ways of building things, well, whether a function runs once or a thousand times, you don't need to worry about that scale. And that's, yeah, that's powerful and just invigorating. Yeah, the, the real thing that uh, it's a beautiful pairing of availability and readiness. Uh, so availability of infrastructure, of capabilities, of adjacent services, the backing services that ultimately enable you to do more than just compute. And, you know, so adding networking security, bringing your data there, because ultimately data gravity is one of the most profound uh, choosers of where your apps will really be. Uh, but then to go one step further, which was really the whole idea of where I had, you know, what can we do beyond just this stuff in the world where people can leverage this? And you and I were, we were blogging and we were trying to sort of like look to what's next. And quite often you'd find yourself a little alone on that path. Uh, but then a year later, all of a sudden you see you're getting, you know, 15, 20 reads a day on some blog that you wrote from VMworld from three years ago. And you realize because the world caught up. Yeah. And so it was this beautiful combination, like I said, of availability and now readiness that the world is, we've understood, you know, we've, we're far beyond the rent versus buy arguments, the pets versus cattle argument, all the something versus somethings. Look, the reality is we're here and it's there to be consumed. And people are, especially now, when we don't have, you know, physical access to offices and data centers in the same way that we did a year plus ago, uh, it was a really, it was a beautiful opportunity for the world to 
do something with what they had available. Like, let's just, let's take what we've got and do something amazing with it. And we've seen it come out in what, you know, companies that are doing vaccines that are, you know, government agencies are leveraging people getting access to services. I speak to people all the time. And that's the thing they're like, I didn't have to get in to my data center to stand up stuff. I could spin up my developers are all over the world. So now I can give them local access to things. I can give them anywhere access to things. So it really was this beautiful thing, you know, that. Yeah. Uh, and I, I like, I really love the way that it actually came often more from a bottom-up approach, and you know there are many big uh, there are many, many big examples of top-down approaches where a CIO or a CIO says, "Well, we're going to mandate moving to the cloud for X, Y, Z number of kind of things," <clears throat> and that is super important. And any company, you know, top-down leadership and drive for that really helps with any kind of uh, uh, project forward. But what I liked about the uh, part of the pandemic was that you know engineers and architects and developers could literally have the sweetest services at their um, at their um, at their fingertips and literally sitting at home with nothing but an internet uh, internet connection and a laptop they could either scale their um, scale their compute or their services to take unprecedented demand where literally within days or weeks nobody could have predicted how things were going to change and just to be able to do that for your customers or do that for your staff or do that for your business and so be able to handle that massive scale and then also the other way around for you know I, you know many companies are suffering or many companies are just wanting to not well they couldn't do some kind of things and you know a serverless approach is always paper use and you know we've got there are amazing stories of companies who were just able to shrink their it spend uh, from an infrastructure point of view and their computer uh, point of view really down to the bare minimum because you know maybe one part of their business isn't doing anything anymore and another part of their business is going absolutely gangbusters and um as a good example, if you look up on the interwebs, uh, Liberty IT, and they're an insurance company, and they're you know fully into serverless, and there's a great reinvent uh, presentation uh, which they do, and, and they talk about some parts of their business uh, where they were doing claims, literally shot up overnight, and you know if they were doing using traditional infrastructure, you know that was going to take uh, an enormous amount of of computing power and and um, just racking and stacking and sorting that all out. And because of a serverless, we're not even racking and stacking, even setting up EC2 instances. Hell, I'm showing my age at just a minute. <laughs> Sorry, about, we were talking we... about the racking and stacking. <laughs> it's like, EC2, there's no racking and stacking. Oh, dear. Uh, but yeah, just being able to scale up. And then other parts of their business, they said, you know, they, they just didn't need to do uh, X, Y, and Z. And so they could just scale, uh, scale that down. And that just gives, you know, it gives agility and power, but, uh, you know, it was developers who could come up with that and they could say, you know, they've been tinkering around with this and they say, well, do you know if we did X, Y, and Z, we could scale this. And, you know, developers are so close to the cloud, so close to the business problems as well. Uh, and yeah, just a great sort of upward things where anyone anywhere in the world, and, you know, we hear great stories of people needing a team of developers to stand something up and, and all of a sudden they could literally take the take talent from anywhere in the world and people are keen people who want to learn you know it's all there it's all there for the for the taking and i love that i love that it's you know spread out and given everyone an opportunity the the one thing that i found uh that has been like i said the bit of a the dragging forward of a lot of the infrastructure teams in that you know 
because not everybody has an organization that's making the best use of of the new tool sets and capabilities that are there. So what you end up having is this weird uh, push pull factor of you know ops folks that are that I speak to, especially in like the VMUG community, and and you know uh, you go out there and you say like, hey, you know, you, if you thought about trying this, and and you show them stuff like Terraform and AWS and and all like I'm I'm giving these talks and having a lot of fun, and it's amazing to me that even today here in you know 2021 now that there are folks that have still not yet stood up their first you know cloud instance, still have not used infrastructure as code because it's it's just takes a while for the, for some, you know, depends on the size of the organization, but I really do see a shift that now everyone knows it's coming in, in their career, if not in their job today. So like career wise, we're seeing so many people are getting AWS certified and there's so many great resources for that. And, and also, you know, just the, there's so many, you know, obviously plural site, we've got a cloud guru, we've got lots of, of folks that are doing training. Uh, and there is no end of, of accessibility to this information. Like you said, to the infrastructure before, you know, if I want to try something out, I'm like, Oh, I've got this crazy idea. You know, I want to stand up a, you know, a, a cluster of servers. Well, I've got to go and buy an Intel NUC and I've got to buy three of them, of course, because you've got to have a cluster, then you need to switch, you need all this stuff. You know, right now I do my, uh, I do AWS for my nomads. I run HashiCorp nomad for yep. containerization and then I'm doing a Pluralsight course again, you know, for advanced nomad stuff. And so every time I start to work on my demos, I, I click on the go button and I, I, provision my through terraform i stand up a six node cluster across two different regions with aws ec2 sets up all my security group sets up all my stuff for me i do what i need to do get my screenshots take my video and then i shut it down it costs me about about you know 98 cents every time i run it <laughs> and that's it if i want to run it for five days i could do so if i want to run it for an hour i can do so and just that that means that I can change my own trajectory in life because I can educate myself on stuff that I couldn't before. Because if I wanted to kick the tires on it, you've got free tier, you've got all these different options. So anyways, I'm kind of in love with just the, the ability to unlock the power of people. Yeah, absolutely. And to do also cooler and more interesting stuff at work and you know, there's always this this talk about serverless also means no ops and oh yes we don't need operations people and we don't need infrastructure people and whatever and i mean heck i've come from an infrastructure background literally jumping all in all in on serverless and i always love being able to tell people that well of course things are going to change things are going to going to evolve but you're actually going to do a have more time to actually do the stuff that you care about and if you're a dba for example I know, you know, many DBAs I've worked with before, their job often is building SQL servers or Postgres SQLs or that kind of thing, managing the backups of it, ensuring that the replication is there for DR and then testing DR tests and, you know, loading developer scripts to test all, all things. Ah, uh, you want another copy of the SQL or MySQL server Postgres or whatever it is, standing that up and that just goes at continuum when actually a DBA is, you know what, I want to be data modeling. I want to be making sure that my developers are using the best schema they can possibly be doing. I want to make sure that, you know, that developers, when they're choosing between SQL or NoSQL, that they're making the right choice based on X, Y, Z, Z kind of thing. 
And you know, that's just an example of a of a DBA, but the examples from you know storage people and security people and all this kind of thing, where actually when a lot of that other stuff is just taken care of you and you've got a you know a, a database that's multi-AZ in the AWS world where you know it's spread across multiple data centers and you don't have to worry about maintaining that state. Yet your DBAs uh, just have more have more sort of impetus to do their job well because they're not looking after all the all, all that other kind of stuff. And I think from a personal, uh, you know, love and productivity and inspiration for your own job, we all want to do something new. And sure, there are people who, you know, have a bit of fear and trepidation about that. And you know, you know, quite rightly may be thinking, well, you know, if if uh, I may lose my job, so I'm just going to keep on and be a blocker and do what I, what I'm going to do. Um, but yeah, the, the the opportunity is there, and you know, there's so much more that we can do if we just if we just think of how early on we're still in cloud days. Uh, you know, never mind what the Twittersphere says, or never mind what's in the new, uh, you know the headlines on the on the pages or whatever. There's a vast amount of opportunity uh, to do, and yeah, that's from a company kind of thing doing cool stuff, but also very much personal is hell playing with new cool toys, which is always fun in my book. Yeah, there's definitely the it's like a continuous i could be a science project every day and it's just new fun stuff you could i couldn't i couldn't possibly fill my day you know any better than with exploring you know new services that are available and even just like rediscovering new features and capabilities within those as we see more of the adjacent services that are getting connected together and i think that's where the why this is important for the technologists because we can go in and life comes at you fast you know you you stood up ec2 and you did it a certain way now you go and like oh the ui looks different oh there's different options you know we we've got new capabilities available you've got other backing services like you said just operational stuff too before it was always like run it there but then you had all these sort of had to deal with third parties for integrations and for for backups and such and it's and those are still you know always there you know and they're they're great partners to work with but then natively you have all these incredible internal services where you could be you know from ground up or cloud up as it were <laughs> running entirely in the AWS ecosystem and this becomes the the thing that I'll say because I'm not going to drag you into this you know unfortunate opinion right is that we talk about lock-in as if it was this this sort of horrifying thing, but in the end, we've all realized, I believe, you know, that lock-in isn't a real thing. What you've always locked yourself into is the capabilities of the platform. So if if I'm going to lock in, call me locked in on AWS because I know that it's done in a way that only positive, forward-thinking things are occurring in the environment it's never meant to hold you there and you're beholden to it. And in fact, I think it was Andy's keynote in 2019 or 2018, one of them. And he said, look, you have, there's no legal lock-in. And that's, that was a neat statement because it said like, you can just get up and, and, and go it's on-demand infrastructure. So you have complete freedom. And the only thing that you will choose to do then is choose your tooling and the way that you interact with it. And we've been locked in for, since the moment we chose any technology, that's lock-in. You know, people, I always tell people, are you married? Like, yep, you're locked in. <laughs> feel painful? No, you love it, right? It's like, okay, so stop arguing about lock-in. It's just, if I was locked into something that I knew was risked going away, 
that's locked in. That's a that's an unfortunate feeling. But yeah, I that's yet- absolutely. I mean, the, I mean, the the sort of perceived idea of lock in is all about the sort of value versus the switching costs. If right. you're getting good value from it, and you're uh, and you and you're happy with that, you know, job done. And that if something gives you value, value, you know, go for it. And you you know you maybe weigh that up against a, a future migration. But I mean, one of the values of serverless and with Lambda is really that agility and speed. Without having to manage you know infrastructure, servers, containers, clusters, all that kind of thing, you can get your idea or your experiment into test and production quicker. So if you can iterate on your ideas and you know maybe maybe this is a silly idea or maybe it's a great idea. But the, the point is you don't know until you try it. And so if you are going to decide to commit to something and maybe that's going to be lock in on something that's more traditional and it's going to take you you know three to six weeks or even one week just to set up some infrastructure to do something, how, how are you going to try your idea out? And you know, part of that taking over that infrastructure is you, to give you the tools that you can, in fact, you know, mitigate your <clears throat> concerns about the lock-in, because the lock-in to the platform is also with that value. And if you can get value quicker, well, how about I've got 10 developers, each trying 10 different ways to do something in a week. And at the end of the week, everyone comes together and, you know, works out their best ideas uh, and, and off they goes. And, you know, yet there may be ways you need to change how you do things and, you know, some of the some of the paths to uh, success may be inhibited or you may be, you know, you maybe need a new tool and you've got another way to do that. And, you know, th- there are ways that you can integrate, certainly with Lambda, uh, with, a, you know, a new thing called uh, extensions as well and use traditional tooling and things like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's we don't we never see ourselves as wanting to lock you uh, lock you into Lambda. We just particular well for lambda never mind all the other serverless services but we want to make it better to use it that you want to use it that you know that value is there for you and uh yeah ultimately if you're also writing less code you've got more portability because you know if you've got a you know 10,000 line 1 million line code base and you know 80% of that is all talking to even if it is open source or even if it is other open kind of um uh open kind of things you still got to maintain that to code you still got to make sure it's secure you got to make sure you you know that code has got failures and retries and backoffs and all that kind of thing and actually if there was a a way that you could probably remove uh, half of your code that if you then decided mm, you know what that kind of service isn't working out for me maybe you can just switch to another service with no code changes or uh you know some aws service you grow out of well use a third party Right. If you even when you're locked into, or even if you're locked in or using a service and you've got a whole bunch of code, uh, you know, that's that creates stickiness. And if that code's sitting on EC2 or sitting on on prem or something, you know, that's what limits your that, that what limits your agility. While you know, start using some uh, some other kind of stuff and there's native integrations with things. Well, cool, you know, use the native integrations. Um, that's going to give you way more agility to be able to move things uh, move things around and yes, yeah, swap out and one auth provider for another or you know a message queuing system for another yeah yeah instead of having to have a a 19 week you know architectural program where you're trying to figure out how you're going to deploy it deploy all your servers on prem and do all this stuff and and you and I have been through many of those who're like if you just want to run a proof of concept it was you needed budget for the proof of concept yeah. because you were going to need to provision all these things and get teams together and it's it's just is such a a great opportunity now to switch our thinking to like you said from prototype to production 
but even just the fact that you can do rapid prototyping of infrastructure, yeah. not even code. So yeah. you don't even need to be worried about the app yet. I can rapidly prototype. I want to try run, you know, Fargate for EKS instead of just straight EKS. So let me do that. Right? I don't fine, yeah. need to buy a server and do a thing. And it's just, it's just literally kick the tires on it, run it up. Yeah. I do a thing at, uh, called Turbonomic Labs, just do like live streaming of different sort of tech stuff. And I did like Fargate versus, you know, traditional EKS versus ECS just to show like how easy it was. And in the course of an hour, I literally did all three of them. And then when I was done at the end of the hour, I tear it all down. So it's it shows you that if somebody wants to try this stuff out, the that broad accessibility is is beautiful in that how quickly you can get at to it. Now the neat thing too, because I want to drill in on this idea of new ideas coming from the community. Uh, you've been in at doing the advocacy role. I'm seeing the open source. Uh, integration, open source sort of real support is growing. Uh, it's actually uh, Phil Estes who just moved over to, uh, he was from, yep. uh, from IBM. Phil's a fantastic uh, fellow. He was on the podcast as well. Uh, you know, you're seeing obviously Adrian Cockroft, you got all these really great leaders in open source and they're coming in. And so we're seeing that community effect also then bleed into capabilities and features and the way that people consume, you know, AWS infrastructure. So for you, Having been very community involved for a long time, how good does it feel when you can see those things coming to fruition where people can bring an idea and then the team listens? Yeah, that's, that's one of the things I've been surprised about AWS is how much they listen to customers and the community. <clears throat> and I know every company says that and a lot do and a lot I'm sure have great intentions about it, but um, AWS is extremely particular about the, the customer focus. And that, that has surprised me in a way that I, I just didn't expect. And, you know, really AWS is, and Amazon is very much a, a written culture. So, you know, lots of documentation written about every kind of thing. And, you know, when we are developing a feature, for example, you know, when I'm reading through the PR FAQs, which is our, um, you know, Amazon, you always write the FAQs and the press release beforehand. And so you literally, you write up what you're going to be delivering and then work back from that. And those press, those mock press releases that you're writing will have uh, customer references in that. And those customer references that are in there are actually product managers who've spoken to the customers and have said, well, this is what the customer wants, uh, you know, their percentages, their figures, their metrics, all this kind of thing. And so, you know, product managers and uh, developers and everything spend a huge amount of time talking to customers and also talking to the community to generate and create all those products. And uh, there's a certain percentage, I can't remember off the sort of top of my head of, um, I think it's like 90% of everything we release is based on customer feedback. And, you know, there's a huge internal uh, um, process for managing all that feedback. And, you know, but then there's, there's that leftover 10%. And AWS always likes to say that that's where we sort of invent on the customer's behalf. Because sometimes customers are asking for one thing and they need one thing, but actually we could create something that's either even better or, we use this term of inventing on their behalf. And something like Lambda is that kind of thing that we could have said, well, yes, we will do something for S3 and you know, create an event-driven um, compute service for S3. But 
we could actually make this much bigger and make it open events for everything. Wow, that is that is, that is groundbreaking. And also from the community perspective, um, you know, having come up through the the VMware community and, and having been uh, you know V expert for many years of my life and hanging out with great people like you and everything at VMworld, you know that that community is super interesting because it just connects people together. Um, I think AWS, to be honest, has a has a difficult challenge with that as well, just because it is so broad and it is so vast. But the, the passion of the serverless hero, the, um, the vExpert equivalent in the AWS world is heroes, so AWS heroes. And you have data heroes and mobile heroes and things like that. And we yeah, have our, yeah. our serverless heroes. And these, uh, you know, ladies and gentlemen, are some of the most passionate people I know. And it is amazing to see the impact they have on some of the products and maybe even just some of the features that we do. Uh, that we come out and a lot of it comes from from early doors where we speak to these some of these uh, big customers and then often when products are coming out you know we are actively courting the the feedback from our from our serverless heroes and they will tell us what's and all <clears throat> you know yes or no this is not what, what i expected or i would also like this or i didn't like this or that kind of thing and um yeah i'm i'm amazed on the number of internal calls i'm with where you know someone will pop out and go well you know, what would our heroes say about this? Or a particular service hero, what would they, you know, they may be interested yeah. in machine learning or something like that. And they say, oh, I wonder what they would think of that. And it's literally to the person. <clears throat> and yeah, it's amazing. And, I, you know, AWS is, as I mentioned before, it's because it's so broad, it can probably, I suppose, tough to have a, a cohesive just AWS community where, where in, in, in the real world, it's lots of different communities, but they all do sort of intersect. And yeah, we've got a passionate community people and, and they are, yeah, they're amazing. And I'm, uh, yeah, I love seeing what they're doing. And yeah, some of the stuff they do where we shake our heads and we go like, oh my word, I did not foresee that. <laughs> but that is awesome kind of thing. Yeah, well, it's funny. I'm just thinking now, like I've actually had two of the AWS serverless heroes on the podcast. Uh, so Ben Kio, Ben's a fan. He, we had a really great conversation talking about, uh, uh, we had a good chat on Twitter about outposts and he's he's super engaged, really, really talking about stuff. And, and it was really cool. And I said, hey, I'd love to actually have a full long form chat on, on what we just talked about because you've got some really great stuff to bring to the chat. And, and so we, we did, it was great. So Ben was fantastic. Uh, and then also uh, Brian from begin.com, Brian yep. LaRue. <laughs> And Brian's uh, also a fellow Canadian. So uh, that's right. We're slowly taking over the IT world. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, same thing. It was just really, really somebody who's very vocal and out there on customers' behalf, like a real true listener to yeah. the, the community and then brings that in, surfaces their, what, what he's hearing and then says, okay, I'm going to build a service. And then to have him be able to influence AWS proper, right? Like, to, and so that's Absolutely. cool that he's, even though he's building a thing, which, you know, most of the kind of should be like, you're going to be careful. He's building stuff that may be taking us. He's giving flexibility for other platforms. He's like, well, actually, no, you know, like they're very open to the fact that people love the, just the ability to come and go the ability to get the most out of it while they're there. Yeah. And, and uh, it's funny, like I said, as through, through work, I do a ton of work with AWS folks in, in the field, in the community. Uh, I was, of all things, I was 
you know, representing Turbonomics, speaking at an AWS event, uh, talking about HashiCorp products. So it was the most bizarre combination <laughs> of things that were none of it was really the thing that I do. But in the end, everybody supported it because they saw well, that was the first time as well where AWS had an event where they accepted community speakers. And I was very lucky and proud to be able to be among some of the first crew that did that. And I'm seeing that's coming up more too, where whereas before, obviously reInvent, there's so many product announcements. It's not like we can fit in, you know, community speaking slots, but at some of the road shows and some of the other local sort of quarterly tech events, I was seeing more, you know, how are people using these services? And that was really cool to see this, this shift in the customer story where it's being told by the customer with no impetus to do it other than the fact that they're excited about it. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And even this uh, reInvent 2020 that, you know, there are a number of just just even within the serverless track, there are a number of customer stories from I mentioned before Liberty Mutual and Steadly and... I'm not going to mention the last one because I may get it wrong. I'm just thinking like, oh, they didn't do that. What are you talking about? Uh, but yeah, just uh, and for them to be part of reInvent and be able to, you know, tell, tell their stories. Um, there's even a presentation by a serverless hero, Michael Hart, super, super clever guy who's done uh, on CICD. And yeah. I mean, my job as a developer advocate is two ways. One is to create content to help people learn serverless. And the other way is to literally bring back feedback to the product teams. And we have regular meetings with you know, many of the product teams from you know, API Gateway and Step Functions and EventBridge and SQS and SNS and all these kind of things. And is literally to take community feedback back to the product managers to make sure that we're building the best um, serverless products uh, and features, um, but part of my job as well is to help scale through through the heroes. And you know, if we help them out and they come up with a cool story and they then help you know ten other people out, I mean that's that's just yeah, that's like the the human fan out of serverless knowledge, which I'm which I'm all for. I got one real important question: Is Jeff Barr an Android? In, because how does he keep up with the amount that he's over his career? Like he's just I produced a, such an incredible amount of content, and and he's so involved too. Like it's, a, I can only imagine what his calendar, you know, has looked like over the years as yeah, he's absolutely. really evolved the role. I mean, even I know his his team has scaled out a bit more just just to be ha handle all the amount of services. But yeah, the the sort of personal involvement he has and a you know, there's a high bar for blog content at AWS. It's not just type something up, hit publish. And um, yeah, I, you know, even looking at their requirements for doing some of their blog posts, you know, this is this is deep down. We're going to be looking at it. We're going to be commenting on it. We're going to be, you know, tearing it apart and coming back. So yeah, Jeff doesn't uh, Jeff doesn't just uh, write the blog posts as well from a oh, fun after the fact perspective. He's you know writing the blog post before the feature is going to be an uh, announced. And yeah, his team is also, as with other blog writers, you know, is poking those holes and going back to the PMs, going, ha ha ha, you want to say this, but <laughs> in reality, it's this. So I, I you know either sort it out or, or evolve the messaging. Yeah, that's the interesting thing is again like how how tight the access is via product management to the customer, and I've I've worked you know and I've talked to a lot of different companies and especially folks through the podcast over time, and you'll see the the most successful rapid product adoption stories always come when you're strong listeners when you're deeply involved with the customer throughout the development process so that. When you're coming to the market with something, it's already adopted. 
It's, it's just a matter of scaling the adoption versus, you know, go out, build a thing, and then let's find some customers that may like to use this because we think it's interesting. You know, it's yeah. especially at the scale that, like you said, there can't be one AWS community. I get asked all the time that people say, like, how many of your you know customers do you think are using AWS? That's easy. All of them. <laughs> all of them. Whether it's direct or indirect, we all like through some means, we are all sort of touching this infrastructure. So I mean, I can't even imagine what the customer count is. And it's probably published out there somewhere, but uh, it's a fantastic number. So there's no way that they could all have like, hey, let's have an AWS user group. I think that's what reInvent is, the biggest AWS yeah. user group ever. And it's huge. Yeah, exactly. If you had to, if you had to go back four years and you were sort of at the throes of, I should probably even a little bit further back, where blogging was really, you took an active role. You're like, not only were you blogging because you just were doing it out of, you know, I'm just going to get this out. But you now, you, you very much adapted to that. I can create content in advance of the need, which was such a beautiful change to watch versus a lot of bloggers don't, that's like an enterprise architecture of blogging where you're actually, let me write about something that I know is important in the same way that Jeff Barr is going and creating the blog in advance. You did that so well, Julian. And so four or five years ago, if you'd have thought to yourself, I'm going to be writing about serverless and developer advocacy as you're writing up something about you know, running Horizon on, on physical servers, <laughs> could you ever have connected those two dots? In one way, definitely not. I mean, absolutely. But in another way, yes, as a sort of obvious arc and trajectory as computing has in, has involved. And I remember I was um, very lucky to be invited as the uh, keynote speaker for the UK VMUG, so UK National VMware User Group. And I did the keynote talk at the end of the day, which isn't normally a community member. You know, I was just a customer, that kind of thing. And I did this vastly overcomplicated talk, uh, which, which I just try. I just got so excited and I just packed way too many things into it. <laughs> and um, that was me. I just got excited. There was just so much to talk about. Like it was, it, they wanted something on the, on the future of IT. And I'm like, well, hold on your hands. But I remember, and that was, uh, I think that was 2016 or something. And already I was talking about serverless then. And because even though I had, I had, I had played with serverless and I'd, you know, tinkered around with Lambda and that kind of thing, but it was just the, you know, this is, this is the future of how things are going to be easier for me personally, for everybody. And so, yeah, in one, in one way I could, I could always see myself writing something that's going to be useful, but it's always something that's going to be useful for people in the future. And I was always very particular about, uh, you know, launch blogs we used to do, you know, if we, if we were on the beat of some upcoming announcement, you know, I was very particular on always writing about the why. Right. So, you know, there would be 10 people on a, who would get all access to the same kind of things and the same kind of, uh, you know, marketing information and product information to write about. <clears throat> and, you know, uh, no disrespect, no disrespect to anybody else, but they would, you know, list, a, list all the features and, you know, that, that is always super important to get out there. But my ethos was always, you know, why is this important? Why does X feature matter? Because it's coming out, but why? What does it mean? Or maybe what doesn't it mean? Or what could, what could you turn off? Or what could you change your thinking? Or what does this maybe mean that this is a stepping stone to, you know, version seven of the product, which we don't, I know nothing about, but 
you know, when six, six comes out and seven is coming out in a year's time, you know, what, what does this make you think about what is coming around the corner or, the, or this kind of thing? And so I always had a, always had a look at it, you know, a little bit of a strategy bent of, you know, looking into the future because, you know, any architect wants to be prepared. And yeah, even if it's a guess, you want to make an educated guess. And so I always loved, um, you know, in a way, you know, rubbing my crystal ball, not knowing anything, absolutely probably talking, you know, a good 50% 50, 50 rubbish, um, but hopefully with enough experience that that rubbish may have been something that turned out to be at least some, something to think about. Well, and it's definitely, as I said, I've been a longtime fan of your of your writing and, and your blog and and just your approach. Uh, and I mean, I've I've always looked to folks like yourself, Jeff Barr, uh, you know, uh, also the ever famous John, the AWS blogger, uh, John Myers. That's a, he's really really cool. I I've always tried to sort of model how I approach the blogging and writing and in and, and speaking in that same sense that I've seen you folks be very successful and because when you listen to it, it's much more than just sort of a feature rundown. And uh, it's funny because you get, it's very easy as technologists to get caught out and we love like, oh, this is an amazing feature. And I've even done it internally, you know, with, with products. I'm like, love this, but you just basically gave a feature walkthrough for an hour and no one knows why they should care about the, the 20 amazing things you just show them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you, they'd probably rather not see how amazing the features are and they'd love to see an active use case hmm. and that becomes the i think we're the evolution of of how we do things and again that sort of goes to product building product management yeah. product marketing <clears throat> advocacy it is it's all based the, in it the, the the fun of doing this at aws is my you know personal blogging also you know definitely took a dive over the you know recent times because also i was working in more traditional infrastructure and you know we we'd sort of got ourselves to a certain level and then i wasn't doing anything new i wasn't you know you know uh, writing new stuff in power cli or you know developing stuff for hyper converged stuff you know these kind of infrastructure things <clears throat> and so my personal blogging had sort of you know dried up a bit and so coming to aws and then having access to write my own stuff for the AWS compute blog. I mean, wow. And having amazing people internally to learn from. And, you know, there's a review process and, you know, we've got people in our team who re we review each other's blogs. <clears throat> and yeah, to, you know, always that question of, you know, why is this important? Why would somebody care? How they're going to show it? How can they try this the, themselves out, uh, this out for themselves as, as quick as, as quick as possible? And so, yeah, I mean, we, hell, we haven't even been to any reinvent announcements, but I mean, I'd written some of the blog posts uh, for those. And yeah, you know, the whole ethos of writing that is uh, this was announced. Um, you should be able to go to GitHub repository and maybe go to download a CLI tool or something. And then, you know, type three or four commands and it should deploy the whole thing. And then you can see the thing we've we've deployed. And then you can go and look at the code and, you know, you've got it working and you, you know, do a request through an API endpoint and you get a response and like, okay, cool. Well, how did that actually work? Well, there's the code. Here's your explanation. There's the GitHub yeah. repository. There's the open source code. There's an explanation of how it's set up, the security ramifications of it, whatever. And yeah, that, that's the cool thing. So I'm loving having that opportunity to literally expand the, the cool stuff to write on. Now, maybe a couple of quick rundown things of like new serverless bits that yeah, came absolutely. out of reinvented actually nothing like five minutes left like let's just talk about <laughs> what all of what three weeks of announcements in, impacted but i think yeah. the important thing was like why the approach is as much 
as important as the announcements because then you know when people hear the announcements they're like oh good golly i know i can go to the documentation and i can find it yeah, I can go to I'm github going. and i can find it right it's, it's it's cool so yeah absolutely well i mean let's uh, let's just talk about lambda because that always comes top of mind when when people think about our serverless and that is a compute thing and you know as I, as i mentioned before it's this you know always this big story of literally giving you access to the entirety of uh, AWS's compute power without you having to become an expert in uh, distributed computing. And I, I like that, you know, we deal with all the scale problems. Um, you know, you deal with resources, you, you know, you get CPU, you get memory, uh, you get some storage, you know, you configure your code, that's important. Um, you know, that's the addressable thing, the, the code, not the resources, you know, you're not binding your function to a, uh, a collection of machines or a pod or anything like that. Um, you're just saying, I want this much memory, which is a little dial, um, which gives you some CPU cores as well. And then whether you spin up 18,000 cores in the back end or, you know, 1.8 kills, that's not your problem. You know, and that's the driving philosophy about, uh, about it that, you know, uh, that the less you have to think about from a distributing computing perspective, and then you get more time to build your own kind of stuff. And so, you know, we have large Lambda function sizes. So now up to 10 gig of memory, and that then correlates with the memory dial up to six virtual CPUs. So wow. Lambda functions can still run for a max of 15 minutes, but that means before you used to have three gig of memory and it could be up to two virtual CPUs. So, you know, tripling that memory and CPU footprint could mean that something that needed that was CPU bound that ran in 45 minutes or just under 45 minutes now runs in under 15 minutes. Yeah. And so, you know, 10 gig memory, six virtual CPUs, and then on the cost, one millisecond billing. So before Lambda was charged per 100 milliseconds. And so if your uh, function ran for 50 milliseconds, you basically were, you know, you were being charged for 100. Uh, Ergo on the other side, you were running 101 milliseconds, you were charged for 200 milliseconds. So now literally 100 millisecond billing, don't have to do a thing, it's just on. So literally some people are seeing their bills drop by, uh, you know, 70%. And, you know, there's still some workloads out there that that 70% translates even for a medium sized company to saving $100 a month, which may not seem like a huge amount because their Lambda bill really isn't the big kind of bill. But if you're thinking interactive workloads or things behind a, an API, or you know, machine learning kind of stuff where some of the inference stuff I hear is really sort of actually quite short compute, this can save you a huge bunch of money. So that's the, the sort of two sides of stuff getting bigger and stuff getting cheaper. And then the other big one is the container image support. And this is a big thing because this is also serverless. We don't want serverless to be something that is too unique that there's, uh, there's just so many new things I've got to do and I don't, I don't really understand it and it's a barrier in the way I've been doing things. So container image support is about being able to package your Lambda functions as container images. Use the Docker CLI, use the Docker file and build your Lambda function. Now, <clears throat> Lambda then goes and uh, caches that data around for you, so cold starts are not a problem and can then run that, uh, run that function. Same execution environment, same isolation, and it still works in an event-driven model. So you're not running any arbitrary container on, uh, on Lambda. This is a, a container image built for Lambda, but you're not having to worry about ports and sockets. You're not having to do anything like that. An event hits Lambda, off it goes and, and does that. So this helps developers sort of where they are. If you're comfortable building containers, your CI/CD pipeline is used to building container images. You've got maybe image scanning, all this kind of thing. And also allows up to 10 gig image sizes. So that's also a big thing. People using uh, training models or, you know, big bunch of dependencies, you know, container image support allows for uh, 
a new packaging format and far bigger, uh, the, the size of that package can be uh, a lot bigger. Uh, Lambda extensions is another super good thing. I wrote blog posts for that. I absolutely love the extensions. This cool, is also yeah. another thing is connecting Lambda, allowing you to either write your own tools or probably more likely uh, plug in your partner's tools directly into the Lambda, uh, Lambda ecosystem. So you don't have to write your observability coding, uh, observability stuff in your code. Some of the extensions from partners, and these are people like, you know, Datadog and um, uh, AppConfig, which is an AWS service, and Datadog and uh, logging providers, Sumo Logic, and yeah, there's a whole bunch. I mean, they're literally, I think, 20 or 30 different uh, third-party providers. And you just add an extension, which is a Lambda layer uh, to your function, job done. So your uh, observability data gets sent out to any one of your providers and you don't have to do anything else. Really be able to reduce code and really connect with your partners, use your existing tools, your, use your favorite ex existing tools um, for Lambda. So yeah, that, that's, a, that's a super good one. Those are the big highlights. I mean, there are a whole bunch of other kind of things like AVX2 support, advanced vector extensions. So, you know, CPUs can do some faster stuff. Um, on the step functions and API gateway has now direct integrations. So you can add API gateway actions to your step functions workflows. Step functions is our, is our workflow automation and orchestration system. <clears throat> Super good if you're doing anything that needs to orchestrate anything, look at step functions. Now you can reduce your Lambda functions. API gateway and step functions talk together. Step functions also has synchronous express workflows. So, you know, you can synchronously kick off something with, this, uh, with step functions and wait for a reply. Ah, oh, what else we got? Uh, Amazon Event Bridge, replay and archiving. So you can create archives That's cool. for Event Bridge. Yeah, yeah. And event, event Bridge, if you're doing anything about events, ergo the name, Amazon Event Bridge, really powerful product. Um, what else we got? Oh, raw serverless v2. So this is, you know, um, multi-AZ report, read replicas, global database support, more scalability. So if you're looking at Aurora serverless v1, Aurora serverless v2 is, is even better. I mean, that's just, I flicked through, I had a listen, I just flicked through some of the kind of stuff, uh, you know, way more better with SAM, which is our serverless framework for doing local testing is much, is, is much better. Uh, Loads. I mean, loads. We we could carry on for hours just uh, just with the uh, with the announcements. But yeah, I'm excited about the container image support. Um, brings Lambda and container devs much closer together. And uh, you know, containers is a is a big word that means a lot a lot of things. Um, we think I like to think. Um, you know, ultimately under the hood, uh, Lambda is already doing a whole bunch of stuff that you would be doing with containers already. We've got, you know, a greater isolation with our Firecracker isolation. Um, you know, you don't need to worry about um, schedulers or pods or Kubernetes or Docker Swarm right, or this yeah, kind yeah. of thing. You know, that's all just built into the platform for you. And so if you used to, uh, you know, playing and tinkering with containers or running them in production. Sure, you can, you know, carry on doing that with EC2, with Fargate, with um, ECS, EKS, all those kind of things. Or maybe Lambda, maybe something that you can start investigating as uh, as another way. So you don't, you can have even less infrastructure to manage. When that really becomes the thing that in there, there's an underlay somewhere that, uh, in a lot of ways, you know, and I obviously I, I wouldn't pull you into having to say what it what is or isn't already being present, but abstracted away. It's my, I would hypothesize that a lot of these things were always containerized, you know, backed by API gateway, backed by, oh, you know, these things are services that eventually became so widely used, like, okay, let's just push one above the abstraction and let it be consumable directly. And that's what's so cool. So it's, 
when when you're getting the first crack at container images in uh, in serverless, you know, on Lambda, what you're probably getting is to what has been working for a long time. That's what I I really enjoy about the AWS tends to bring you something that's battle tested much more than like, I've got an idea. Let's just see it was to run a proof of concept in a large community. Like, no, no, it's, we've been running it for quite some time. So here's a new accessible endpoint where you can run it yourself, which is such a cool opportunity. Now, again, as, as technologists, we can get excited about the, the bits, but then when you go further up, then you realize like, what's the business value of it? Yeah, you know, but yeah, like you said, we're we're running all these like trillions of instantiations. You've got all this, you know, it's micro VMs running on metal. It's like like you said, you are, you know, for the old script phrases, dog fooding or whatever it is. Like you effectively are running the 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 infrastructure you have. So if anyone ever says like, "Hey, I wonder if it runs at scale," like I we well, can confirm quite profoundly that it does. It does. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, that's the thing. And I mean, you you can imagine the the number of operational stuff that we're doing all the time to make that better, faster, cheaper, more. And so like with one millisecond billing, you know, we make the economics work because, you know, we're doing optimizations all day, every day behind the scenes. <clears throat> so serverless literally just gets better uh, as you use it. And, you know, if, there, if there's a performance thing, we're going to pass it on to you. We're going to find better ways of doing it. We're going to update some, you know, some driver or some kind of package, which is going to make it more efficient or more, or more secure or faster or cheaper. And yeah, I mean, that's one of the cool things of serverless is literally just in the background. It's going to get, even if you don't do anything, even if you don't take advantage of the new stuff, it's just going to get better behind the scenes. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm trying to imagine that case where somebody's running like, look, I just got a bill for 204 milliseconds. This is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I, I refuse to pay this. I, I want yeah. to round down. Like, okay, okay, we get it. But it's, it is, a, at one point we all talked about, and I'll say we, like the broad, the, the pundits of the world talked about this idea of this race to zero. And and what it isn't, it isn't a race to zero in that it's going to zero dollars uh, like for a service. What it was, a race was a race to innovation in that you could basically put back the results and the revenue from one area that's obviously successfully adopted and scaling and then feed that back into other ecosystems. And then at the same time, feed it back to the customer directly in that, like you said, you're doing optimization so that you can go down to micro, you know, millisecond billing because now, you know, there's no reason why you, why they could do that. They needed to do that like that. Yeah. When you, when people talk about customer centricity, I tell them, you know, read everything you can, how AWS and the team describe customer centricity and watch how it's played out. Versus most people, when they say customer centricity, they mean I love a customer that really loves my vendor product. Yeah. That's not customer centricity. Customer centricity is doing something that's counter to maybe your future because you're betting that the customer will love it enough that somebody else will also love it. And that's it plays out beautifully in the way you're talking about this stuff. And, yeah. and I mean, there's no hidden agenda, even with the one millisecond billing. It's like, we know that there are our customers who are spending a vast amount of Lambda, a vast amount on Lambda, and we don't want cost to be a blocker for them. And so if we can reduce it to millisecond billing, sure, we're going to lose, you know, <clears throat> immediately day one after that's turned on, you know, we're going to be losing money because yesterday we were charging hundred milliseconds. Today we're charging one millisecond, but, 
we are going to be then creating a whole new set of workloads that people are going to be going, well, that's going to, that's going to work for me now. I'm going to now going to be able to do X. And, you know, the whole idea is to give people more flexibility, give people more agility. And, you know, one by one, if we can remove those little, those little blockers, those little things that make, um, make it not possible to use the service. Well, yeah, that's where we're going to keep that. That's where we're going to keep going. And, and it, the other thing as well, which, you know, often it's, it, it's, hidden behind things because they don't want to be running to the press releases with it. It's like, if you go back through the annual report stuff and you see stuff like they, I, I forget what the exact number was, it's like a billion dollars was given in grants to startups and small community, you know, organizations to allow them to leverage services. And that, you know, you, somebody will always read that as like, oh, well, they're just getting somebody to use the services. Well, I, I call it empowering people. You know, and if yeah. they then through that are now adopting services and growing their business together with AWS as a partner, that's, I still see the customer in the community in that far more than I see the chasing revenue because they had every opportunity to not give that money in the first place. And that means that people don't have the services, people don't have the access, this really idea of, of ubiquitous access to the cloud is it's real. It's so cool. Anyways, I'm excited to buy it. And, and like I said, I'm also excited about the nerd bits, which is like yeah, exactly. so That's many. The coolest, yeah. <laughs> I'll always be torn as much as I tell people like, it's not about the speeds and feeds. Like I'm pretty excited about the speeds and feeds myself sometimes, but uh, it happens, happens to the best of us. So Julian, thank you very much uh, for this. Uh, and if folks want to get involved and, and start their uh, their journey towards serverless uh, hero good goodness and and just trying out the uh, the world of serverless, uh, where can they find you writing and and where can they catch up with you online? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I realized I didn't even give my Twitter handle in the beginning, but. Um, it's Julian underscore Wood. So yeah, please, I'd love to uh, talk to you, Julian underscore Wood on Twitter. And actually the best place to find out about all things serverless on AWS is a, a newish site we've launched, which is serverlessland.com. Ah. And that's a super aggregation site where all the blogs, all the video content, the events, uh, there was a dedicated page to reinvent with all that kind of stuff. And there's going to be way more coming. So instead of, uh, you know, navigating a whole bunch of YouTubes and a whole bunch of blogs, just go to serverlessland.com and there's just loads of content and it's being, you know, <clears throat> continually updated all the time. So that's for a one-stop shop. Um, uh, that's the, yeah, that's the easiest kind of way. And then, yeah, if you've got, you know, comments or nitpicks or suggestions or anything on serverless, please, yeah, uh, get in touch. Uh, I mean, I've, I'm still loving my time in AWS. I sort of pinch myself that I'm, I've actually got this kind of, this is actually a real job. And <laughs> it's I get amazing, to do isn't it? <laughs> I get to talk to people like you and I get to play with products and I get to, you know, inform how products are even created, which is super awesome. And yeah, I'm, you know, having a lot of fun. Um, I know some people don't enjoy AWS and it doesn't work for them. And, you know, working for a big tech company can be difficult. And I, I super appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sort of pinching myself that uh, I've managed to tread this path and uh, yeah, absolutely loving it. And yeah, really happy to reach out, particularly for infrastructure people, you know, who wanting to know about serverless or who are, you know, either intimidated or have burning questions or just don't, you know, are annoyed that there are actually servers in serverless, <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> 
whatever it is uh yeah more than more than happy to chat and uh, yeah just uh yeah let's keep the conversations going uh keep the community going um yeah this is a you know there may be bits and bytes flowing across a wire but it's still very much a people-centric business um so yeah love to be in touch with anybody who's interested we all get there together. That's uh, that's the advantage of it, and and it's well deserved, my friend. You uh, you know when I when I heard that you got the role, I thought, oh yeah, they've picked a good one. You know oh, because well, thank it's, you. It, it's uh, it's really it's neat when you can see that pairing of of people that are going to really love and appreciate the opportunity, and then obviously the team they get a huge win in that having you on board. So. Uh, I'm glad to see it continuing to evolve and 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 really stuff. And again, you know, sort of remote uh, opportunities is that you know AWS is spread all about the world, and so to see that in different time zones, different representation, different geographies, it's uh, just such a huge great opportunity. Like I said, maybe not for all, um, but uh, uh, I think you've you've done well and continue to do so. Well, thank you very much. I take inspiration from you as doing uh, advocacy for the years that you've done it. I've always uh, appreciated the way you've handled it. Handled it, and yeah. So also, you're uh, you may not know it, but there, there are many things you've said, written, um, spoken about, or shown over the years that is uh, some are waking, some are working its way into the way AWS will do stuff. So yeah, a little bit nice. of that uh, disco posse <laughs> magic, uh, <laughs> disco posse cloud magic. I better be careful Sprinkles what I say everywhere. now. <laughs> never, never. <laughs> Excellent, Julian. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you.